1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be starting there in just a moment. <clears throat> that will be the first passage we look at in our study this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's good to see everyone out this morning. Uh, I have to say I really appreciate it, especially that first hymn that was led. That is one of my favorite hymns. Uh, I just I, I love the lyrics within it. I, I think the, the tune so appropriately matches the, the lyrics that we sing through that. And it's just, just a beautiful, it's always a beautiful notion to draw ever nearer to Jesus, to our Lord. Um, and I think it's a good, really just a good thought to have in our minds as we segue into this uh, lesson this morning. We've been going through a series of lessons on authority. Uh, what I'm hoping is a very basic, simple uh, series of lessons on authority and it's, it's based off of that verse from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. And maybe as we're going through this series, by the end of it, we'll have that just memorized if it's not already. That whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Um, and it's just, it is such a critical, vital verse to hold in high regard. It's, a, it's such a, uh, the passage is, is just something that we, it's, it's good for us to know, it's good for us to learn and be able to uh, just say right off the tip of our tongue. Um, it's a good thing to remember as we think about our relationship to God. As we've been going through this series and talking about this, last week, we, we, uh, as Brother Ken already mentioned, uh, we talked about how we can absolutely know God's will. And one of the reasons for that is because God has not spoken to us. He's not revealed his will in such a way that it's just impossible to understand. And and if you weren't here for that lesson last week, you can look it up on, uh, on the YouTube page. But we don't have time to go through everything. But essentially, the main point was we can understand what God wants for us to do. And one of the reasons is because he communicates the same way that we do. Or rather, maybe we communicate in the same way because he made us to understand him. And those three aspects of how we communicate to one another and we establish authority, those three things just very quickly, we tell someone or we show someone or we imply to someone what we want. That is, is also what we see throughout the scriptures. God tells us to do something or he shows us what we must do or he implies to us. Um, or the, the, what we see and what we're told, we, may, we infer what we are supposed to do. What I want to do this morning is specifically focus on that telling aspect. Those direct commands or those direct statements that God makes to us all throughout his word. And we're going to do this with each of those things that we talked about. But as I said uh, this morning, what I want to focus on is the direct statement and commands that God makes. And before we get into um, the, the lesson this morning, I just want to kind of illustrate um, the purpose for this lesson when it comes to direct statements through an illustration that Granddad gave uh, a long time ago in Danville, Indiana. Um, J.R. Bronger, he was going through an illustration talking about a preacher that was speaking with the congregation about possibly moving there and working with them. And so they asked if he knew the Bible. And this is his response. He said, oh, yes, I know the Bible. I know it well. I know it from generations to revolution. He then launched into a sermon saying, you know, there was a man in the Bible that went down from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he fell among the thieves, and the thorns grew up and choked him, and he didn't have any money, and the queen of Sheba came by driving in her chariot, and she gave him 100 pieces of gold and 30 pieces of silver. And they went on for a while, but his hair got caught in a sycamore tree, and he hung there. Finally, Delilah came, after the ravens had come and fed him with bread and water, and cut his hair, and he fell down out of the tree, and it rained on him forty days and forty nights. So he hid himself in a cave, and the dogs came and licked his sores. 
Finally, he made it into Jerusalem, and he saw an old hen there trying to gather her chicks under her wings, but they would not. And they went a little further, and a man asked him to come and have supper with him. And he said, well, I can't. I've, I've married a wife. But he compelled him, and he ate supper with him, and they had wild honey and locusts for supper. And while he was in Jerusalem, he was going down the street, and he looked up and saw Jezebel in a high window, and she was laughing at him. And so he said, fling her down, and they flung her down. And he called up again and said, fling her down seven more times. And so they flung her down 70 times seven. And from the pieces, they picked up 12 baskets full. Now, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Now, I go through that story because, one, I think it very clearly, and I think it very, um, very well describes how I think many people look at the scriptures today. It's humorous because, especially if you've read through the Bible story, these are a lot of um, descriptions. These are a lot of uh, little tidbits of information from throughout the scriptures, but it's all compiled together in, a, in, in, in uh, not the story that God gave it to us. And, and, and so I, I think this is how, especially our culture today, tends to look at the direct statements and direct commands of God. I will just say from the beginning, as we get into uh, necessary inferences and, and uh, apostolic examples, I think that those probably have more objections in terms of quantity. But I do think that this is, this is at the heart of the matter, that even when it comes to clear statements and in the, in the direct commands that God gives us, and we're specifically in our last point, we're going to mention uh, baptism as an example to talk through these things. Some of the, uh, in application, some of the uh, examples or questions people bring up. But when it comes even to these direct, clear statements, people don't want to accept it. And so I want, I want to just kind of talk about direct statements and direct commands from that standpoint. First of all, as I said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that's where we'll be starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a, ver a passage that we read just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, on, on the chart, you see that it says this is the consistent assumption in all communication. And, and the point I'm making there is that God means what he says. When he speaks, when he gives us his revelation, his word, he means what he says. And as we said last week, he's not speaking in an unintelligible way. He's speaking in a way, in such a way that he expects us and wants us. He desires us to know. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 beginning, it says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so I, I like especially the New American Standard uh, translation in that last verse, in verse 16, that notion that we have the mind of Christ. This isn't vague. This isn't trapped in some nebulous area. We can know, and God desires for us to know. And so all throughout, I want to just emphasize that point as we go throughout this series. But uh, as I said just a moment ago, God expects us to respect. He expects us to honor, to keep, especially, I'd say, the clearest of communications, his commands and his statements. We expect this universally as well. When we talk to people and we make very uh, just basic statements to one another in discussions with one another, we expect people to understand what we're saying. And we expect, so 
the last week I was talking to Brother Dylan about um, his his shirt because he had a UK logo on there, and we were just talking about you know the upcoming season and all the you know fun things that are going to be coming up, especially as you get to the March Madness and everything. And we were just kind of talking about that, and I was just as I was going through this, I thought, what if I went up to Dylan or really anybody here who's a UK fan, and and they have told me. Ex, you know, explicitly, I am a diehard UK fan. Everything else, I, I, I don't like anything else. What if someone said that to me? And then the next week, I go up and I say, I got you a gift. And they open up the gift, and it's not a UK jersey, but it's a Tennessee jersey. Or maybe a Louisville jersey. I don't know what, what your exact rival is. But there are a couple things that you, can, uh, that you can discern from our interaction. Either one, I was not listening at all. Or two, I am specifically trying to make you mad. <laughs> and so these are things that we expect each other uh, when we are communicate with one another. We expect people to understand what we mean when we say things just outright. Let me just say, go a step further. We expect this even with animals. Have you ever had a dog? And have you ever expected that dog to understand after at least some level of training? When you say sit, that means sit. And when you say uh, come, that means come. And we get frustrated. When the dog does not obey those commands, and why is it? Because even the animals can understand that to some degree. They, they, you can train them to understand certain commands so that way they will do what you say. And, and so I, I just go through, I go through those examples just to say, I don't understand why that expectation changes when God is trying to communicate to us. We will not accept when we're talking to someone uh, any confusion when we've directly explicitly said something in a very simple way and yet when people come to God's commandments and they and they read something like you must be baptized they want to change that and they want to say well I don't think God meant what he said what well, is that what you expect from others no it's it's an inconsistency and it's dishonest when you come to the scriptures when you come to gain the mind of God the mind of Christ and so just from the very outset, I just want to make that point. The expectation should not change whenever we come to uh, the mind of God and his revelation. Well, moving on past that, we're not to change God's word at all. And this is something we're not going to spend too much time on because all of these passages we already know. But I just, and usually I try to, when I'm going quickly through these passages, I try to put them on the screen. I didn't uh, get to do that with this point. But I just want to quickly read through some of these passages. And the reason I want to do this is because from the beginning, from the law to the wisdom literature all the way to the new testament you find this consistent theme of you need to take god's word and you can't alter it uh in De deuteronomy chapter 4 in verse 2 it says you shall not add to the word which i'm commanding you nor take away from it so that you may keep the commandments of the lord your god which i command you going over to deuteronomy chapter 12 in verse 32 in verse 32, whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. Over in Joshua chapter 1, this is not a passage that's on the screen, but Joshua chapter 1, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn away, turn away from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Over in Proverbs chap chapter 30. In verse 6, very quickly, it says, Do not add to his words, or he will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. Finally, as, as you see on the screen, in Revelation 22, at the very end of the story, <coughs> I think that it's almost 
uh, emphatic, being one of the last words that God speaks to man uh, in his revealed will. He ends the story of the Bible in verse, in ver- beginning in verse 18 of Revelation 22. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of, the, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Now, I just wanted to go through all of that very quickly to make that case that consistently you see this idea. And we talked about some of this previously in previous lessons. Why is it that we cannot try to depart from it to the right or to the left? Because our history tells us that man is not capable to do this on our own. We need God's, we need the, to accept that grace that God has extended in revealing his will to us. We need to follow his instruction to, to reach salvation. We need to follow his instruction to do away with the deeds of lawlessness and to take on those good deeds, be people zealous for good deeds as we were re- reading about early, earlier in the Bible class in Titus. And so there's that consistency, I think, to make the case that just emphasizing all throughout this never ends, this idea that you must, must accept God's word and not alter it, even when, even when it is hard. And even when, I, I, I always use this as an example because when you're studying with people about repentance, you know, people say, oh, of course, repentance is a big part of, of conversion, and yet they don't show it. They will, they will verbally say, I know that we need to repent, and we need to bear fruits that are uh, according to that repentance, and, 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 turn, and, and turn to God, turn away from our wicked deeds. But then there are certain things that they're just not willing to let go of when you're trying to have a study with someone to, to become a Christian. And so it, it can be difficult, but ultimately you see that warning all the way throughout the Bible story that we need to take it at face value. In Proverbs chapter 13, and verse 13, it says, The one who despises the word will be in debt, to, in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And so you see both uh, conclusions there. I would just say with regard to this, if we don't take his word as he speaks it, then I would suggest we don't fear it. And we don't revere it. And we need to make sure that we are approaching his word, his revealed will that he wanted us to know and learn. In, a, in that respectful, reverent way. <clears throat> and we might even talk about that a little bit in the lesson later tonight, this evening, focusing on uh, Moses as he comes to God, that idea of, of a, how you approach him. Um, finally, within this point, I think it is, as we see in Second Timothy chapter 2, in verse 15, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. In your translation, it may say rightly dividing. I think that when... When we come to the scriptures and we don't accept these clear statements, the clearest of communications from God, then I think we are inaccurately, not think, we are inaccurately handling or not rightly dividing the words of God. If we can't, as we talk about just something so basic and simple and, and fundamental as direct statements, if we can't respect something this clear, we won't respect the other ways that God establishes authority, like examples and inferences if we won't even sit down and say yes i agree on this well then how can we move forward because people look at examples and they say well it could be talking about something else well what does the bible say or they look at inferences and especially with inferences when you're trying to talk to someone to become a christian uh as we were just talking as an example with repentance especially with inferences people they they don't like to use that common sense to to try and read what God is implying with a certain statement or God is uh, implying with as you talk about Matthew chapter twenty eight when Jesus says that that the that we are to 
baptize everyone, everyone who wants to become a disciple of Christ, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, you imply that that means everyone, and it does mean everyone. But he doesn't say, Luke Caps, be baptized. But we, I infer from God's implication that he expects me and everyone who wants to be a part of that kingdom to be baptized. Now, again, you're not going to respect any way that God communicates to us if we don't respect even the clearest of his communications. Well, hopefully I've made that point. Maybe I've kind of beaten a dead horse on that. But on to this next point, his word is eternal. His word is living and active, as we'll read in just a moment in Hebrews. But I will just say, God's word never changes unless he says otherwise. So you kind of have this idea in Jeremiah chapter 31, which we read, uh, I believe it was last week when we were talking about um, that expectation uh, and even in the Old Covenant. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, here is a moment where God says there is going to be a transition. We We are under this covenant right now, but there's coming a new covenant, and it's going to be one of forgiveness, where forgiveness is actually fulfilled through Christ ultimately. But you have that idea all the way... In, in, in the Old Covenant, where God is saying, here is something where there will be a transition at some point. Now, other than that, unless God says otherwise, what he says stands forever. And it does not matter how much time has passed. It does not matter the customs that have been, uh, that have been brought into our current culture. His word does not change. And I would just say, when it comes to just the times and the seasons, remember that story of Uzzah. When he reaches out and he touches the Ark of the Covenant. And we look at that story and we think, uh, I think sometimes some people will come in and think, well, how could God be so rash? No, the, question, the main question is how could God be so merciful? Because each one of them could have known. And you go just a couple chapters after that in First Chronicles chapter 15, uh, or maybe it was Second Chronicles, I can't remember now. But um, David even says, we needed, to go to, we needed to go to the law. And even though centuries had passed, much time had passed, that law was still valid, and it was still very much in power. Uh, and it was because that law was broken, because they didn't come to that law to, uh, to transport the Ark of the Covenant the way it was supposed to be, death, destruction followed. And so I always want to remember that example when, just, when it just comes to the timeless Word of God, the eternal, rather, Word of God. It doesn't change just because, as we said, the, the changing seasons. In Isaiah chapter 40, in the middle of verse 6, it says, All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now my question is, just from the outset, do you agree with that? Do you believe that? We all should. Because this, as we already know about God, he is outside of time. And he is outside of of our limitations. And so what he says, therefore, should stand. Um... You know, I think one thing, not too long ago I was teaching a, well, I say not too long ago, it was over two years ago actually, I was teaching a high school class and we were talking about the moral objections that sometimes people have when it comes to Christianity. And, and one of the things we talked about was homosexuality. What does the Bible actually say about homosexuality? Now, I really wanted to try and, and read as much as I could, at least in turn, not a, a ton of books by these people, but I wanted to go through as many articles as I could and as many um, interviews as I could trying to hear and listen to people's approaches to Scripture when it comes to them saying, making the case that, oh, today homosexuality is no longer a sin. Now, if you're a Bible student, you understand that God has never said 
other about anything other than about uh, let me restart god has never said anything about homosexuality other than it is a sin and and people will come in and they try to use all of these passages from the old testament to the new testament and they essentially say well that was because of the culture back then that was because they were just too primitive to understand god's grace now now it's no longer a sin and people can behave however they want regardless of what the scriptures say now is that a valid case to make that just because that much time has passed, 2,000 years, does that mean that what God says about something like homosexuality is no longer valid? Well, I, I hope that everyone would agree that God's word is eternal. And what he says on that stands even to this day. No matter what the culture says and no matter how much time has passed, no matter what the customs are. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, not dead and idle but living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, again, the word is not dead and it's not sitting idle. It is something that actively, daily, is to work in us that is supposed to shape us and form us into the kind of people that God wants us to be. And as we were talking about in Titus chapter 2 this morning in verses 11 through 14, you just see that so... Uh, explicitly that when you come to Christ and you come to his word what does it do it instructs us it instructs us to do away with certain things and it also instructs us to take on certain things it instructs us to do away with the deeds of lawlessness and it instructs us to to uh, be people that are zealous for good deeds and so it is living and active and it's not something that we can just throw away just simply because our lifestyle demands it that we throw it away well going beyond that when it comes to <laughs> What is supposed to change, it's never going to be the word, but ultimately it's ourselves. When we come into contact with the word, there are, there are two things that could possibly happen. When we come into the contact with the word of Christ, we either are changed by it or we will be crushed by it. Those are the only two options. And you don't get to say, well, I pick the third option. There is no other option. You are either changed by it or you are crushed by it. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 22 beginning, it says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh, quoting Isaiah chapter 40, is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Now, when that interaction occurs with the word and the individual, what is the, where does the change occur? Well, it's not the word, but rather through the word, the person is changed. We are born again if we accept the gospel, if we decide that we are going to pledge ourselves to the king, Christ. And so I, this is kind of a shorter point, but ultimately the main idea here is just... Just reemphasizing what I believe uh, you, you probably already understand and have understood for years now. That the word does not change simply because of the sensibilities or the whims of the people listening to them. God's word, he means what he says now and forever. Um, and so, and, and I would just add to that, kind of like what we were talking about when it comes to uh, people saying that homosexuality is no longer a sin. Not because of anything the text actually says, what the scriptures actually teach, but because of what they want it to say, or rather what they want to be able to do. I, I just think about um, those, there are people in our culture today who would say 
that even though they were born a certain sex, so they were born a male, that male can now say, no, I'm actually, I've always been a female. Does it matter what he says out loud? Does that change the biology? No. And it's not to say that, that, that we don't feel sympathy, compassion for that person because that's, that is genuine confusion and we need to have that kind of compassion for that person and try the best we can to teach them about Christ, to show them the glory that he wanted for them. But just because we think something and we say something out loud, no matter how many times we say it or how loudly we do, it doesn't change the truth. No matter what we do and no matter what we say about the scriptures, it doesn't change the scriptures. God words, God's word trumps ours. And so we need to remember that as we study our Bibles and especially as we're trying to bring others to Christ, we need to make that point over and over again. Uh, that his word is, is eternal. Well, finally, as I said, I want to use, uh, just kind of make some application of all the things that we've said using the example of baptism. And we've already kind of talked about some of these things as we've been going throughout the, um, the lesson this morning. But if you, if you haven't noticed, I've, I've been using two different terms when it comes to the, uh, God telling us what to do. I've been saying direct statements or direct commands. Now, I think they're distinct, but they, they go hand in hand. Um, and I want to look at the differences between what a command and a statement might be. And what I want to ask is, are statements uh, less any less conclusive or not conclusive at all compared to commands? Well, first of all, when you think about baptism, well, it, it, it's just clear. There's really no, not much room for debate at all because God says this is something that he wants for us to do. Uh, when, when Peter preaches the gospel to the crowd in Acts chapter 2, what do they say in verse 37? Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a command. And, and when you look at a command, there's really only two options. You're either going to obey it or you're going to disobey it. There's no third option. You see that. So there, there's no room to say, well... I don't want to disobey, but I also don't want to do it. I just want to be in this nebulous. No. You either obey it or you disobey it. Now, that's pretty clear, I would say. That's pretty simple to understand. And so we don't really have to talk uh, all that much about it. You go over to, to, I want to look at just a couple of examples with this command, though. Over in Acts chapter 10, uh, well, a couple of examples in Acts. Acts chapter 10, beginning as the uh, Gentiles, after Peter has um, received the vision of, of the, the food and God says what God uh, has cleansed do not call unclean and he makes the application that this is speaking about the Gentiles and then the Gentiles are baptized in Cornelius' Cornelius's house with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and after this in verse 48 it says he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and then they asked him to stay on for a few days and so again that's a, that's a command and you can either obey it or disobey it you can either heed it or not Oh, in Acts chapter 22, Paul talking about his conversion when a certain disciple named Ananias comes and, and does exactly what God tells him to do. As he is speaking to Paul about these instructions that God has given, he says, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Let me just tell you, after just a few of these passages where it's commanded, I think that that is just, obviously, there's no room for debate. And you can't look at the very word of God and say, well, I refuse to believe that, but I also want to be in his good graces. You can't say that. What have we said this whole time? You have to accept what God has given to us. Um, and this is, again, something that we need to push. 
we have to push this when we're trying to have Bible studies with non-believers, people that want to become a part of that kingdom and a disciple of Christ. We have to push this because the authority of Christ does matter because they, what they're saying when they become a Christian is that he is my king and it is his decree that I will proclaim that we're to be heralds of, of the truth. Now, it, uh, again, with a command, when God tells us to do something directly, it is conclusive uh, and there are no other options with that. Now, what about statements? I think the commandments are pretty simple to understand, but when God just makes a, a simple statement, not necessarily saying, you must do this, or, or you do this, but when God says, again, talking about baptism, first of all, in Matthew chapter 28, like we briefly mentioned earlier, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, there, there's even some mention about commandments that Jesus has given them, and he is commanding the apostles there, or giving a commandment to the apostles there about what they need to do. But within that is the statement, just the simple statement of baptism. That baptism is a part of that conversion, about a part of becoming a disciple. Just look at Mark's account, Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. He says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Now, here especially, there's really no command given. There's a statement being made. Now, here I want to ask, is this statement any less conclusive than what we just read? I don't think so. Because here, once again, you have the very word of God revealed to us about what he expects for someone to, to become a part of his kingdom. And I would say it is just as conclusive as, as what we were reading about earlier in Acts. All those passages where, they, where uh, the disciples are commanded to be baptized. He just says, this is the expectation. This is what you have to do if you want to be a part of my kingdom. And he just expects us to get it. Now, I understand that, that there, are, there are probably a good portion of people in the audience today thinking, you know, I don't know why he had to spend this much time just talking about simple communication. And let me just tell you, I, 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 I sympathize with that. I understand. But a, a lot more what you're seeing, especially in our culture, is that just like with the examples we've given thus far, they will see a very direct statement made by the Lord, made by the scriptures, and they do not want to apply it. And so they try to say, well, because culture is different, because time has changed, because so much time has passed, well, it doesn't mean what it said. And whether it be with homosexuality or, or, or someone who, who thinks that they are the opposite sex that they actually are biologically, whatever the case may be, we have to make this point that this is, this is just the universal way that we communicate. This is the way God communicates to us. And you just can't change what he says. Just because you say it doesn't mean that it changes what he says. Well, I, I've actually, um, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, <coughs> excuse me, we'll read that very quickly. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. As he's speaking about the example of the flood in Noah, he says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subject, subjected to him. Now, the main part that I want to focus on is the very simple communication where Peter says, baptism now saves you. I've had a study uh, not too long ago, really, uh, with uh, 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 there were three young guys about my age who were Baptists, and I met them in a parking lot because they had a sign that said, free Bibles and, and uh, true, true disciples bear fruit of discipleship. And I thought, 
Well, if there's a sign, if there's ever a sign, that's the one I'm going to take. And so I went and I talked to him. We started a study. And this is one of the things that we got caught up on was the direct statements God makes about baptism. And as we were talking about that, we kind of got deep into the discussion. And at one point, I just, I just, I, we looked at this passage and I said, if you were in God's shoes and you wanted to get this across that you wanted, with no exception, you wanted people to be baptized to be a part of your kingdom, how would you have said it? And he, just, and he looked at me and then he looked back down at his Bible and read it again. And then he looked up at me and then he looked back down at his Bible and I just said, you can't say it any other way. You can't get any clearer. He is so clear and direct here that you can't confuse it. Now, I will just say that maybe there are some honest, um, maybe some honest confusion or questions that come along with those direct statements. But you can't just disregard the things that God has said. You know, people will say, uh, you know what, I don't care what it says. Baptism does not say, who do you think I should believe? Uh, honestly, who do you think I should believe? You or the words of God? And I've never had somebody say, well, me. I'm clearly going to go with the words of God. Direct statements are just as conclusive and in the same way as commandments. They only have one interpretation. And that is not mine. That is not yours. That is God's. What does God mean? What is God intending for us to learn when he says these things? Uh, I was actually re uh, reading something about this exact thought, and I would just say in the article it goes right along with this idea. But there was a, another, uh, something else that I was reading about this, and they said in Genesis 1.1 1, 1, when, when it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's only left to one interpretation. And it's not God got help from some other gods. No. You have the creator of everything. And he is the one that actually brings everything to, into being. There's one interpretation. You can't go with anything else. And so when it comes to these direct statements, I think it's much easier than maybe some people give it credit for. Now, finally, I just want to reemphasize the question. Is this not how we communicate with people when it comes to these direct statements and direct commands? Now, again, thinking about baptism. As we were just saying a moment ago, you may have someone who, who reads something like 1 Peter 3.21 where it says, now baptism saves you. And they might say, yes, I agree that that's what it says. But, you know, I struggle. I don't, I don't think God will hold someone accountable for not being baptized if, if they, you know, get into a car crash on the way. And to a degree, I think maybe that's honest. And, and we can talk about that. I, mean, I think that we can talk through those things and get, uh, have a confidence boost in our faith. But... While that can sometimes be an honest question, is that how you communicate with people? Again, go back to that, uh, that previous question. If you wanted to get this point across without a shadow of a doubt, how would you have said it? And there's no better way to say it than what we just read. So when it comes to the statements and the commandments that God gives us, I hope that I've made the case that it's all conclusive. And we can't override what the scriptures teach, what God wants us to know whether it be because of our whims, our own, our own wisdom, whether it be because of something that is really making us struggle. I think God gives us enough of his uh, a will, his, his revealed will, to get past that struggle. But I would just ask as we conclude and as we extend the invitation, who do you trust more when it comes to how to be saved? Do you think that God has not been clear when it comes to how to become a Christian? He's been very clear. As we said last week, as we ended with last week, he's been just as clear. God says that he wants you to be saved. He reveals what he has done to accomplish that. And he clearly lays it out before you so that you can heed and accept it. The world, however, is forever at odds with his standard. 
And it is always trying to get even Christians to question it. And it will always be that way. They will always try to distort and add or take away from a standard, which we already read about was a consistent theme throughout the scriptures, not to do so, not to add or take away. So again, who do you trust more? If you have looked in God's word and it has found you wanting, you have found that there's something in your life that just isn't, that's creating a disconnect between you and your salvation, and you would like to respond to Christ's invitation. If we could help you in that, please let us know. If you're at all subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please let your need be made known this morning or as we stand and as we sing.